1: Welcome to episode 141 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. The word I think of when I think of today's guest is inspiring. She is inspiring to me in the book that she wrote that she will be discussing really throughout our visit today. Her life has been inspiring to me since she wrote the book, which we'll go into a little bit at the end. I don't want to spoil anything else, but I just know that you will be as encouraged and inspired by Katie, Poppy's mom, as I was. So sit back and enjoy listening to Katie, Poppy's mom. (music) Thank you so much, Katie, for agreeing to come on the Always Andy's Mom podcast today. I'm really excited to talk to you.
2: Of course, me too. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Yeah, I've got to say, you know, normally I, well, I often have guests on who feel like they know me pretty well because they've listened to every episode I've ever done or many episodes. But This is the one time where I almost feel like it's the opposite. I know you've listened to a handful of my episodes, but I have read your entire book. So I feel like I know you pretty well. So I'm excited. I'm excited to let my audience know a little bit more about you. Of course, we don't want to give everything away because I still want them to read the book because I was really moved by the book. It's very, very powerful. I love it.
2: Thank you so much, Marcy. Thank you for taking the time to read it and to share it with your audience. It has been such an incredible journey. And actually I, I just today, Facebook reminded me that on May the 4th Mm -hmm. of 2016, I resigned from my job as an attorney. And that was after my daughter died. Mm -hmm. And that was after trying to go back to work. And then not even planning. I did not remember this because of course that was six years ago now on May the 4th of this year is when I officially published my ebook on Amazon Kobo and with Ingram Spark. So the paper, the, the ebook became available on May 4th. So may the 4th be with you. (laughs) So those two synchronistic things happened. And as you know, because you read the book, me choosing to leave my job as an attorney was a pivotal and and hard choice, but something that I felt I had to do in order to recover and heal from my loss. So lots of amazing things are happening. And I just, I love synchronicity and I'm so glad you had a chance to read it already. Well, and I really
1: felt that decision so deeply with you because as you may not know, but I am a pediatrician, a physician, and I had to leave my work for really a full year. I had to leave. I tried just as you did some weeks after. I think I went back a little earlier than you did, actually, um, and tried to work, but it was just too painful, and you, those some of those stories that you relayed in the book about the painfulness and the reminders and things like that, I really resonated with because it it was the same for me. And it mm-hmm. got to the point where like, I just can't do this. And I, yeah. I didn't know if I could ever do it again, right? At that point, I'm like, I may be done forever. Yeah. So it's a big decision to make, certainly. Anyway, I just felt really you know, when you think about the med school process and the law school process, there are so many similarities that way. So that's, I think, why I kind of felt that from you so much, just because that was really resonated with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. But what I want to start out by doing is I want to start out by talking about just Poppy's story Mm -hmm. and just the beauty of that. And really from the very beginning, because it's just a beautiful story of the love between you and your husband. And even from the bit before you even knew you were pregnant. So if you could tell that story, I would really
2: love it. Yeah, sure. So my husband Eli and I met in November of 2013 here in Seattle. I had moved the previous year from New York city where I was practicing law and I was loving life on the West coast at the time he and I met, it was a sweet romance. Um, we fell in love probably about four months after the first meeting. And I, I knew we both knew at that point, cause we were both, he was in his later thirties. I was in my early thirties and we knew that we were meant for one another so um we had moved in with one another just 2 weeks before going on a vacation to Kauai which was just from and it was in February so um to go on a tropical vacation in February to me felt like I had just made it. Like there yes. was nothing more amazing than to go somewhere warm in the winter and like have, have the money to do it, have the time to do it. Like it really felt like a, a really a massive accomplishment and to do it with someone that I loved, which was so special. Um, so he and I were, um, uh, in Kauai, we'd been there for a couple days, I we had talked about getting married, and I I knew he had asked for my father's blessing, which of course is another really fun story that I tell <laughs> yeah. later in the book. it when I yeah. went at the wedding, so I knew that it could theoretically happen on our vacation, and I thought it was a great opportunity. And if I was him, I would do it. You know, right. and all these things, it was just my little brain just <laughs> couldn't stop itself. But it got to the point where like I was kind of obsessing, and I realized I just had to let it go. Like we were a couple days into our vacation. It was Valentine's day. I thought, gosh, would he really propose on Valentine's? Like, that's not really like him. I didn't, I didn't think that he would choose Valentine's, but anyway, I let it go. And I said, you know what, you've got to just enjoy this vacation. And I did. And the very next day, He told me that morning that he wanted to watch the sunset that night. And I thought, okay, great. So we had this beautiful day, we snorkeled, we went out for happy hour, we got drinks, we got a bottle of wine, we found this perfect little spot on a grassy lawn in Kauai to watch the sunset. And that's where he proposed. And it was a very, very sweet proposal. And I was really actually quite surprised and all of a sudden realized, oh my gosh, it's happening like this. It's really happening. And he had this beautiful solitaire diamond that that's very much like my mother's. And the next day we found out we were pregnant. <laughs> so Poppy was with us. She had been, you know, I would, I had, I really had only missed my period by a couple of days, but it was the next day, of course, and this is in the schools. Few- first couple of chapters of the book. So we're not, we're not spoiling anything. Yeah. I, i had this wonky feeling the next day when I was getting undressed to go swimming in this beautiful uh, pool of water and it crossed my mind. And I, as any woman who, you know, has ever been pregnant has that sort of initial, like, huh did, am I something? Whoa, wait, I am a couple of days late. And then it all just like, oh my God, I think I'm pregnant. And it was that night that we took a pregnancy test. And so I went from being his girlfriend to being his fiance, to being the future mother of his children in the span of like 72 hours. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and I love how you talk about in the book, how his immediate reaction was just utter joy. And you utter. were kind of in this looking like, like, Wait, we just got engaged. Whoa, 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 wait. You know, you were a little more hesitant, but not even
2: a second for him. Nope. Nope. And I described that the way that he does his little happy dance in the car when I told him on the way home from the, we were driving home from our hike. and I and I like kind of admitted, I was like, honey, I, we need to get a pregnancy test. And he was like, really like just totally. And, and he was like, Ooh, like he no doubt. And then, you know, peed on the stick, the whole thing, like it's pregnant. I'm positive. Oh my God. No. Like I just, like, cause you know, all the, as a woman, right. We just think of like, Oh, like all the, like, no, it's like too soon, too soon. You know, I'm not ready yet. Right. right. And of course our children they come when they're ready, when they're ready. Right. And, and of course he and I, um, we weren't Trying to get pregnant, but we did, and you know, as so many parents do, and we were so fortunate in that regard, of course, because now, of course, not also a spoiler, Poppy dies, but but you know, so many, um... everyone kind of figured that out by that point. This point, <laughs> yeah. I think if they're if you're on my podcast, I'm on yeah. yeah, Andy's yeah. mom. I get it, yeah. right? Exactly. Like that's yeah, yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I know. Uh, well, also, what is it's the second paragraph of my my introduction? It's just <laughs> right. like. Yeah. I don't beat around the bush, but yeah. So yeah, Eli was very happy and remained happy the entire time and really helped me start to feel that excitement within a couple hours of that. You know, I went to bed that night, just stoked. Like we were like, oh my God, we're going to be parents. Like it just like, oh, and then of course he was like, so glad I asked you to marry me yesterday. Like it was right. The timing <laughs> was divine. It couldn't have been right. better. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And your pregnancy went well overall, right? It did. I had a beautiful pregnancy. I mean, I, I, I was one of those women that glowed. I was beautiful and, and happy and flowy and bubbly and all of it. I felt wonderful. I felt purposeful. I, as, as someone who had always been sort of wrapped in the trappings of my intellectual brain and what I could Per, you know, how I could perform and do and show up and, you know, that kind of driven, like being pregnant was this completely new experience of beginning to understand this just miracle that was occurring within my body that I didn't have to think about, you know, that I yeah. didn't, you know, my brain didn't have to say, okay, now form her liver, now form her pancreas, now form her, you know, her lungs. Like it just happened. And I, I just, I loved it. I was, it was so happy. We were mm-hmm. so happy. mm mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep.
1: And so now you can talk a little bit about kind of that time and what happened. Yeah, and-
2: yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so my due date was October 25th of 2015. We'd been in uh, a beautiful uh, pregnancy group um, here in Seattle through the um, through Ballard Midwifery Clinic um where we met throughout our entire pregnancy i think it was every other week or maybe monthly i can't remember now but with another group of parents that were also all due in october mm-hmm. And that was really cool because we were forming relationships with expecting parents and building, you know, building community and being able yeah. to talk about all the weird symptoms and all the little exciting, exciting things. And our very last prenatal appointment was October. I think 20 It would have been the 22nd or the 21st. It was the Wednesday before my due date. And when we went, all the babies had been born. So I was mm-hmm. the only pregnant person left and I was jealous and I was ready to be I wanted my baby too. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I I was ready and everything was fine. We, we got to hear Poppy's heartbeat, you know, my blood pressure, never, there had never been any problems, never really any concerns. And, you know, we left that meeting and and just excited to know that soon I would be one of those women that was nursing my baby and, and I would just be in the club. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up going into labor on my due date, which was a Sunday. And we didn't know as any first time mommy, like I was having cramps and I was like, I don't know. Maybe these are early contractions. We just didn't really know, but we, we had a nice day. And then when I finally went to sleep that night, I was just like, I don't think I'm sleeping through the night. You know, I just, I could tell I woke up two hours later and I was like, this is it. Like I'm in labor. We knew it. And it was so sweet too, because Eli's precious. When I was going through the revisions process with my editor, Mm -hmm as she was helping me edit, she was like, Katie, Eli is one of the best secondary characters I've read in a very long time. And I just loved that because, you know, the memoir is 100% my perspective. I didn't interview anybody. I didn't ask anybody what they remembered. I didn't care. It's, you know, it was just my story. So Eli, when I woke up, he was still awake. He went into a complete frenzy, like completely lost his mind. You know, I'm the one that's, that's pregnant and and in, in labor and he's losing his mind. So I told him to go to bed because I wanted him to get some sleep. And I ended up laboring through the night and we got the green light to go to the hospital early in the morning. We got there around 5. AM ish. I think it was, you know, we went upstairs and we were unpacking and the nurse Anne said that she needed to monitor Poppy's heartbeat to get a sense of how she was responding to contractions and that sort of thing. And so she got out her monitors and her straps and whatnot and squirt the jelly on my belly. And as you know, we'd all done so many, so many times before at this point with ultrasounds and whatnot, and she was having a hard time finding Poppy's heartbeat, which was really odd because I knew exactly where it was. Like, you know, I knew it was just to the left and below my yeah. belly button. And I'm looking down at my bare belly and I look over at Eli and, and, Anne says, I, I need to go get the midwife. And I was just like, well, you know, I mean, yeah like go get the midwife. Like, well, I don't know what's going on. And she brought Mia back, which was one of the midwives that we were familiar with from our, our treatment at that point. And Mia again, got the Doppler monitor, looked around, kept looking around and then said those six words that unfortunately so many parents have heard, but she said, Katie, I'm sorry, but we can't find a heartbeat. I mean, of course I can say all this now without crying because I've done so many, I've done so much healing work and it's been, you know, it's been over six years, but, oh, I mean, that moment was just its crushing. Yeah. I mean, devastation beyond the pale, right? Like you don't even have a con, you know, you don't have a a, a concept of how this could happen. I didn't include it in my book because, you know, you can't include everything, but one of the thoughts that passed through my mind and I think people will relate to this and understand, but one of the thoughts that passed my mind is I was like, what is this little house on the Prairie? I was like, like my, like of timing, like, what do you mean? I was like, I I, I think I remember, I I think at one point I was like, she'll be stillborn. Like, you know, the word, like, I was like, where did I, where did that word even come from, from me? Like where, how did I all of a sudden know what stillborn is? Like no one had talked. It. I hadn't read about it. They didn't warn you about it. They don't say, Oh, just by the way, keep in mind, you can still have a stillborn. Like, I mean, nobody says that like it, it, you know? And so all of a sudden, like, I'm just like, she'll, she'll, she's stillborn. Like, how often does this happen? Like, you know, there were just like so many mm-hmm. questions and, and so much shock, of course. And, and I think I, I do think that I captured, that whole experience so beautifully. I mean, writing this book was such a labor of love and I can tell you, I shed thousands and thousands of tears. And in the revisions process, I've, I healed so much. Every time I went back, I mean, I had to, Marcy, I had to go back to my why a thousand times. Why am I doing this? Why am I writing this book? And it started for me, it was, it was, it was my healing journey. It was to Mm -hmm. save my soul, But then I just over and over again, I had to come back. I know I had to think to myself, okay, 24,000 babies are still born in the United States every single year. Katie, that's, that's 48,000 new mommies and daddies that are going through this. Like, remember, like anchor myself to, to all of the, the other parents who are hearing those devastating words, who are going through this devastating process, like write your story for, for them, you know, like, and of course, in Poppy's honor, of course, to remember Poppy always, always, always to remember Poppy hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Really, I think to what you said of kind of that, what is this happening and how is this happen? And it, it reminds me of when Andy died right after the car accident. And they came and, you know, told me in the ambulance when we're still on the side of the road, you know, despite our best efforts, we were unable to save your son. And I remember the thought going through my mind is. But he's on the side of the road he didn't even make it to the hospital. Like, you're supposed to yeah. make it to the yeah. hospital, right? Uh, and I'm thinking in your mind, it was similar, like, but but she's not even out yet. We can't, yes. like, she couldn't have died in here. She's safe in here, in my belly. Like, how could she die in my belly? And I just, it just, and it seems very yeah. similar to me that yeah. you feel like, well, this just, doesn't seem right you know uh, like on tv everybody dies in the hospital at least right Right. you don't just die on the side of the road and people are doing cpr and doing all this stuff on the side of the road and then you just stop no you're wheeled in the ambulance and you at least like try and i mean not that they could have they couldn't have right i know that i know that but that those are the thoughts going through your mind like wait no this this just can't be like
2: this like this doesn't make sense yeah, this doesn't. Yeah, yeah. No, of course not. To us, when when did she die? Like, right? Why why did she die? How did she die? Like, like she was alive guess, three days ago or whatever. But exactly, you don't know. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Like, what? Wh- yeah, I mean, and then of course, and that's the thing. I mean, I I think that that's the thing that's so crucial for for any parent that goes through loss, whether it's in your situation where you're you had a few years with your son or mine, where I only had months and I never even. You know, I mean, I, she never even took her first breath. Like she, you right. know, it's, 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 get that chance. Like, you know, we have to talk about these things. Like we have to talk about it to make, to make sense, to try to understand, to, to, you know, to give ourselves permission, to move past the trauma of the actual event itself. And then to start making meaning and to start under, like you have with your podcast and all the other things that you do, you know, I, our children are so special and so unique. And yeah.
1: Yeah. I interviewed some other parents just recently who also published a book, too, and it was it was interesting what he said was that he, they had their daughter for about 13 months before she died, and then they met someone who I think was a stillbirth, and he thought in his mind for a few minutes, well... But you never saw her living and breathing and whatever, whatever. So this is worse because in, in his mind for that minute, thinking, well, I think of all the other things that I miss because I have this. And then a few weeks later, he met someone who had a kid die who was like in the teens or early 20s or something like that. And he thought, well, but mine is so much worse because you had so many more years to appreciate. And then suddenly it was this revelation in his head that like, oh my gosh, you can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. So it doesn't matter.
2: It doesn't matter. Right? It's so, yeah, that's one of the things that I'm, I'm learning about grief. And there are some people out there, researchers who are understanding, you know, grief. And so it's so hard because there many people have asked me, you know, like, oh, do you wish that she had lived for like a day and then she died or? yeah. I mean, people don't ask it like that. Like I got to give, you know, no, no. but like, but for those mothers, when I've met the mother, that's like their baby died at 36 hours. Right. So it's mm-hmm. like, we contemplate, like we, we can ask each other, like, gosh, is it, is it worse? Like to have never met her at all, or to have had a few moments and then have your baby die in your arms or in your case, you know, these, the many years that you got to, to be with your, your son and then to have him lost, like it's grief, like it's loss. It, it, it doesn't it, really it, matter. It doesn't really, really matter. matter. Yeah. It, it, you know, in, 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 the case of like pregnancy loss, what I was going to say about the researchers, which is so fascinating is that what they're discovering is that the, um, the, the experience of grief, the, the emotions and the feelings around it have nothing to do with the length of the pregnancy and everything to do with the expectation.
1: Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. So, and I say that to honor. All of the mommies and the daddies who are four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, fourteen weeks, whatever yeah. week, days, hours—it doesn't yeah. matter. It could have been a chemical pregnancy or an ectopic pregnancy. I mean, there's so many ways that I mean, one in four. We lost our first actually at about thirteen to fourteen weeks. Oh, see, and
1: like it's the expectation mm-hmm. of. Your and what's funny is that we had just told people. Like, I, I hit the end of the first trimester, and I was like, okay, I'm in second trimester. Safe, it's safe to right? tell people, and I'm nope. just going to tell people. And then literally days later, oh. we we lost him. I always say it's a him in my mind. I don't know why. It's just that's what it was hit, in my mind. And that's – so you feel like that. So after that, it's funny. And then subsequent pregnancies then, I was like, I'm not, not telling people because – I Thank lost, you. like I told people and then days later, and then Good. I thought to myself, if I lose the next one at nine weeks and I haven't told people yet, well, that's kind of worse. Cause now no one's
2: going to be there to support me Agreed. because Agreed. they didn't know. Mm-hmm. You know what, Marcy, I was I was about to tell you, Andy, uh, Marcy, <laughs> I, I am so happy you are saying this because I never fully understood, or I never even questioned, I never even questioned why do we wait until the end of our first trimester to tell people we're pregnant? Like, I, I just didn't question it because I didn't have any context for it. And then I lost my baby. And then I see I'm in support groups and I see all these people with having had miscarriages who are like, Oh, but my loss isn't as bad as yours. And I'm like, could you knock it off? Like, are you kidding? Like your loss is your loss. Like it doesn't right. matter. And, and then re, and then the sadness, the part that ached, I ached for them was the, and we hadn't told anyone yet. Right. So now I'm, I'm returning to work three days after having had a miscarriage. I'm crushed. I never told anyone as I was pregnant. So I can't ever tell anyone I had a miscarriage because no one has any, no one cared. Like no one had been able to anchor into my excitement. So I can't, I can't drag anybody into my sadness. And I'm like, oh my gosh, can we please dump the, the waiting until the end of your first trimester. I mean, I get it. It's an intimate experience. And if it, if it's just you and your husband and all of your family and your relatives, just tell somebody so that they're so that if you do go through a loss, you don't have to then also be like, Hey, by the way, I was pregnant. And no, I'm not like, yeah. I think that the that that practice is antiquated, and I don't think it has a purpose in it anymore. And and if someone wants to disagree with me, that's fine. I don't care. <laughs> right, right. And maybe it depends on your personality a little bit. Certainly,
1: but you know, yes. I I think back a little bit to your book and after you lost Poppy, and when your your dad walked into the nursery and saw it and felt his knees crying and saying, this makes it more real and that's the thing you want. You need it to be real for other people, not yes. like, oh yeah I, I, yeah, I was pregnant and now I'm not. And then, then it never seemed real to them ever. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. I know. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because my dad is such a pivotal character in the book and, and, and was, just was such a huge man and force in my life. And, and he still is spiritually. He's very much hi dad. He's very much a part of my life, but having that moment with him where he fell to his knees and said, this makes it all so much more real. What I, I was like, whoa, like for right. me, it, I, and you know, and it's funny, Marcy, because I would have forgotten that he said that had I not journaled. And for anyone listening to this podcast who is going, you know, actively going through grief, like if, if journaling is something that feeds you, please, please, please do it. Cause you're going to forget stuff. And then I found this journal entry in writing my book and revising, I, you know, going back through all my journals and I found this little, just scribble about like, and then he fell to his knees and he said this. And I was like, I hadn't, I couldn't, I didn't even remember it until right. I saw that it was written down and saw that it happened. And then it meant so much more because I had chosen to incorporate my father's death into the book and, you know, in our relationship and what I learned about grief and death and dying because of Poppy, what she taught me and how I was able to approach my father's death in a whole different way. But yeah, that, that was a big moment. Yeah. So why don't you talk a little bit now about
1: that, about your grief journey, about how you kind of kept Poppy alive and how Poppy, you know, spiritually what that meant to Mm -hmm. you and a little bit with your husband too, I think.
2: I've always had a spiritual life. You know, I was kind of, I mean, I grew up in the church a bit and, but I kind of got away with that because other things happened in my life that, that are not relevant to this podcast, but I've always been spiritual. And when Poppy died, it was almost, it was instantaneous. This longing that I had to connect with her Mm -hmm. to be her mommy, you know? Yes. 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 I wanted to be her mommy. Exactly. And I was so ready to be her mommy. So it was this experience, you know, of like, of mothering, what of mothering a spirit of mothering, you know, of, of nurturing a relationship with a, with a, with a guide with, you know, with a force, like, and and it's interesting because there was definitely a point in my process. And I think I write about this, but where, where Poppy's you know, in my mind and in my heart for a long time, Poppy was a baby. And then there was this sort of this transition where Poppy was no longer a baby. Like it, I didn't, I didn't relate to her as like, you know, this thing that I want to swaddle and have in my arms, but the force of love, you know, a, a much, much bigger, you know, her purpose for me in my life. And for so many others now that, that I've written the book and can share her story, but just like, just a guide i mean kind of like a kind of like god like god energy christ like energy like this pure love you know i did so many things i created so many little rituals to be with her from from journaling and writing letters to her you know mm-hmm. dear poppy and actually dear poppy was the very first working title of the book mm-hmm. Remembering Poppy was also another working title of the book. And then of course, Still Breathing became the final title. And that's another beautiful story of how I came up with that. But lighting candles, I mean, from the very beginning, I, I was just like, I want to light a candle. And I remember like that first day we were home that night, I, a friend asked, what can I do? And I said, I want candles. And so she dropped off candles. And so we lit candles and we kept a candle lit. And in fact, here where I am, where my office is, we have a, a hanging lantern and it's one of those beautiful like star lanterns and we never turn it off. And it's, it's Poppy's light. It's just, it's like, it's like that candle that we don't turn that we don't blow out, but, you know, and it's funny, I forgot that it had that purpose. And my husband recently reminded me, and I was like, really? I didn't, I don't remember that we did that, but little things like that. You know, we, we do things like every Christmas we buy her a, a Christmas ornament mm-hmm. and we hang it on the tree. And it's very intentional. Like we, you know, it's very intentional either Eli and I will do it together, you know, meditating with her calling, calling her spirit in, you know, and it was hard because, you know, with grief, right. Like we were, there was so much shock course Mm at that initial, those first few weeks. And then that started to kind of, you know, when that wore off and like sort of reality kind of started to set in, oh, of like this, like my baby's never coming back. Like, yeah, this is my life now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No matter candles, I light, no matter bouquets of flowers are sent, nobody having cards in the mail. Like this is mine and mine alone to deal with. Like, this is my journey. This is my cross to bear of like, I, I have to figure out how to get through this. And, and there were times when I felt very disconnected from her spirit. And then I would remember, oh, okay, I, 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 I have to do this. I have to create this ceremony, this ritual. And, and so I did. And so Poppy became a, a spirit guide for me. She became a force that could help me make decisions and, 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 and see more clearly. I mean, but, but, but it wasn't before I went through a great depression and a a terrible sadness, you know, with Eli, our grief process was very different Mm -hmm. as any two humans are going to have a different grief process anyway. But I think especially mothers and fathers, I think it's just different. Yeah. And it took me a long time to sort of own that and feel empowered by that. And to say that not, because I, I worked with an acupuncturist a pelvic floor therapist for a long time. And we did all this beautiful spiritual work together while, and she's filling me full of needles. And because I would always say, oh, and Eli too. And I, I would always like, I would always just like, oh, and Eli has this thing. Yeah. And, and one day, you know, BB was just like, Katie, honey, you were Poppy's mommy. Like it, Eli's experience is, is never going to be your experience. Like she was, you know, she, she came to life inside of you and she died within you. You gave birth to her, you know, you carried her. Like there's, there's no relationship more intimate than that. And I'm I'm like, okay, you're right. You're right. Like, so I really had to step into owning that. Like our experiences were different for very real reasons mm-hmm. that it was very hard on our marriage. You know, we had, we got married. We had this beautiful wedding, April 25th of 2015, 10 ish, 12 ish weeks after finding out that we were pregnant, like very soon, Mm -hmm. it was a beautiful wedding, you know? So we, so we're, we're six months married when poppy dies. So we're six months, tried going back to work. I ended up taking about four months off. Eli took three months off. We took time to bond. I mean, I, that was a a massively, I'm so proud of us for doing that. Mm -hmm. It it wasn't easy. Neither one of us had paid leave. You know, the FMLA was just, we just did it, you know, just started using our savings and, and spent time together so that we could heal. But we ended up finding a couple of therapists that helped us navigate our healing together, helping us understand how we process things differently. Mm -hmm. I I can make decisions. I'm a go-getter when I'm anxious. You can see it all over my face. Eli is with much more withdrawn, much more reserved, much more internal and quiet and doesn't process well, he's different now because he's grown a lot and he's been in therapy for a little while, which I'm so proud of him. But at the time he really didn't have access to his feelings mm-hmm. and he didn't know how to articulate what he was feeling. And, and I couldn't understand, I didn't even, I couldn't fathom that he, when he said, you know, when someone said, how do you feel that when he says, I don't know, I thought he was lying. I thought he was avoiding. I thought he was like, he. but what I came to understand in therapy was that he really didn't know. Yeah. And then I could, oh, the empathy. I was able, it took a long time and it was hard, but like, I was able to go, oh, he, he's not avoiding this and he's not, not feeling. He just doesn't know. Yeah. And because of his child and in his bring his upbringing and things that happened to him personally in his life where he had to just kind of bottle up and pull up his bootstraps and move forward and go, you know, in the world. And so then this next traumatic thing happened to him. And again, he was sort of approaching it from the like, I just have to like get through this.
1: I think that and. The men whose wives have a stillbirth or a miscarriage or something like that, they feel this great responsibility to take care of you. And so I think that ends up really negatively, can really negatively impact their grieving process because they feel like they need to take care of you. And societally, what did everyone say to Eli? I'm sure it was, I'm sorry. How's How's Katie? How's Katie? How's Katie? I mean, they're... I bet he could count. I mean, I bet it was 10 to one house Katie over. How are you?
0: And so that
1: reinforces in his mind is, well, Katie's the important one here. I can't think about myself right now. Katie's the one. Katie's the one. Katie's the one. So true.
2: And that's another cultural practice that Mm -hmm. we have got to quit. Like in the, you know, in the, the, to the extent that I say, like, let's announce our pregnancies, (laughs) but let's acknowledge our, our men. Let's Acknowledge our fathers, let's ask our fathers how they're doing yes. and, and give them space to heal and grow and, and, and invite the conversation in so that it's the couple and, and, you know, how, how are both of you, but please, yes. Yeah. I mean, if
1: you're talking to the dad, I would really appreciate you to talk for a good five minutes before you ask how the wife is, right? Yes. I mean, yes. because you really need to validate that man's feelings because, In asking how's Katie, you have just reinforced again that how I'm doing doesn't matter. Working on my own thing doesn't matter. So when you ask him, how are you? And when somebody asks you, how are you? Of course he's going to say, I don't know. Because he's had no time to even try to think about it. Because that's not what he's supposed
2: to do. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Like he's supposed to be the rock. He's supposed to be, yeah, exactly. We're, our men are supposed to carry us through these things. And, you know, and it, it was interesting too, because that mindset caused me and many times to res- to resent him because I didn't want to be fixed because I right. didn't want to feel right. like that was a problem. Right. I didn't want anybody to tell me that I was broken. If I wanted to, if I felt broken, that's one thing, but right. for someone to be like, Oh, you're a problem that needs to be fixed. And like, let's get you help. And let's, it's like, whoa, like back off. Like I'm going through my own process. And if my own process is like slobbering on the kitchen floor, Mm -hmm. and that's my process. Like you go over there and not know how you're feeling. And I'm going to go over here and slobber on the kitchen floor. Right. Right. I mean, there were of moments like that. Right. And I mean, (laughs) like moments that did not make it into the book. Right. Cause like, I didn't need to write the whole thing. Like, (laughs) but those moments existed. Right. Yeah, for
1: sure. When, when people say some of those things that I I know that have bothered you, that really bothered me was, you know, she's in a better place or, or, or this one, even if, if you say Poppy would want me to be happy, it's fine. If someone else says to you, well, Poppy would want you to be happy. So you shouldn't be, you know, like Implica, you shouldn't act like this because Poppy would want you to be happy. Like, don't tell me that. Like, if I tell me that, it's one thing. But if you tell me that, then, you know, then you're like trying to force you to be somewhere that you're not ready to be yet.
2: Exactly. Well, and I've learned that so much, you know, and and Brene Brown's teachings have really helped me have a language for Mm -hmm. these types of conundrums. Cause I mean, let's be real. Like grief is so complicated and it's so messy and people are going to say things that yes. are wrong or uncomfortable, or they didn't mean it that way. Or and it's still better than saying nothing. Right. It's still yeah, better exactly. than saying nothing. Definitely still better than like ghosting on people. Yeah. Um, but what, you know, it's amazing how much people will, uh, will try to avoid feeling uncomfortable because grief makes people uncomfortable. So that whole thing of like, Poppy would want you to be happy. Those words are that person's attempt to avoid feeling uncomfortable themselves. Right. (laughs) Right. They don't want to feel uncomfortable. So if you aren't happy, it would be much better if you could just be happy while I'm here, (laughs) or I'm going to go. As a reminder for you. Daddy would want you yeah. to be happy,
1: so let's just be happy at least for a few minutes while I'm here, so I don't have to see you. I have
2: forty five minutes. Can we just be happy, and then you can go back to be feeling like that again? Because you're making me feel really uncomfortable right now, and it's like, oh, really? Would you like? Yeah. Oh, really? I mean, yeah. I mean, and I again, I gotta give people grace because, and I've learned oh, so sure. much for sure. Even I, having been through my own losses, have learned, and there are times when I'm like, oh gosh, Katie, like, because I'll say a thing, and I'm like, wow, as aware and compassionate and empathetic and loving as I am, I am still very capable of also saying Mm -hmm. the quote unquote wrong thing or the thing, but at least I'm like, but then when I do that, I go, oops. And I said, Oh, you know what? I think that that was insensitive. I, I apologize. You know, so just also if it, you know, for anyone listening, if you feel like you've said a thing and you know, it hurt the person that was grieving, just apologize. Just yeah. say, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. And I guarantee you the griever will be like, it's okay. At least you said something, right. Cause like right. it's one, th- yeah. Like at least you tried.
1: <laughs> I know, I know, I know for sure. So I love to, I'd like you to touch on keeping Poppy alive after having your next
2: child, because you did have another little girl. Yay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh so, yes. We have a four and a half year old now. Her name is Moxie Phoenix and mm-hmm. she is both a Moxie and a Phoenix. I started talking about Poppy. I, I started telling Moxie about her big sister immediately. I yeah. mean, immediately like probably the day she was born. Probably, you know what I mean? Like whispering little sweet nothings. And I've done it, you know, Moxie very much knows that she has a big sister. She knows Poppy Annabelle. She, you know, she knows about the story. I mean, she knows mommy's been writing a book. She knows mommy's got to go edit the book. She knows mommy's got to go try to sell the book. She know. I mean, you know, it's 100%. And I think actually one of the sweetest moments that I've had in the last, I'll say like six months was sitting at the front doorstep, tying Moxie's shoes and saying to her, you know, Moxie, you can't read yet. But someday when you read, you're going to get to read this book. You're going to get to read the book that mommy wrote in honor of, of you and your big sister. And she's just like, really? So excited. And because you've read the book and you've got a little bit of that insider info, Moxie has. Been a channel in many ways for Poppy's spirit. So I think you know our our children come into this world that, you know they're so open. They've just been they're just they're full of source energy. You know that they're just they're so bright and pure. And I I do believe that our children have the capacity to they're aware of spirits. You know what I mean? They're aware. They're just aware. And so Pop Moxie. Has been very aware of her sister her whole life and there have been these very poignant moments where maybe i'm thinking of poppy and then moxie will ask me if i'm thinking of poppy and then it will facilitate a conversation and it's so sweet because she's always done i mean she's four and a half now so you can imagine that the, the nature of these conversations are so tender and sweet and as moxie's learning to talk you know there's a different like her language ability has grown, of course, but at times when she was like just a toddler learning how to work. And, and again, there's a, in my epilogue, there's this, this story of Moxie was on the changing table and I was rubbing coconut oil into her legs. And I, I think I, f- I was feeling sad or I was just, rem- I was, you know, cause I had all these tender moments after, after Moxie was born where I, it was that realization of everything I had lost Uh because before I could only imagine what I had lost. But then once, once yeah. Moxie was alive and once I actually had a living, breathing baby. And then it was like, oh, like it was all those moments that I didn't get with Poppy. And so there, there were so many tender moments like that when I was mm-hmm. with Moxie, but I was missing Poppy and it was, it was very convoluted. And And I will say, well, th- I, I mean, I I did actually go through postpartum depression after Moxie was born in a way that I hadn't gone through it when Poppy died, because it was more like just grief, depression versus postpartum. But then I had a sleep deprivation after Moxie was born. And then all the law, you know, it was like very, very, um, complicated, but, but I was back, you know, I'm rubbing coconut oil on her legs and she just goes, she just goes sister, just one word and this sister. And I, and I looked down at her and I said, your sister, she said, yes, poppy. You miss her? And I mean, yeah. I was just like, I, I do miss her. I do miss her. And, and, and then I started crying and and she, there was this period of time where she just would always remind me, it's okay, mommy, it's okay. And then she asked me if I needed a tissue. Oh. Need, need a tissue? I mean, she was, I don't even know if she was two, she might have been two, need a tissue. And I'm just like blubbering, like, what? No, darling, I'll use my sleeve. I love you. Just like, oh my goodness. You know, to just be like, oh, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for these moments where my child is aware enough to, to just innocently call in her sister's energy when I needed it. So yeah. then we were all there together and there were, you know, and, and I'm not, I'm definitely not going to spoil the epilogue because there's so many beautiful stories of, you know, how Poppy, I mean, how Moxie has channeled Poppy and, and my, my, and my father. And, you know, it's just funny what little
1: kids I think can sense sometimes. And, yeah. I, and I have a similar story I've shared once in the podcast, so I, I'll share it again. And that, You know, on the day Andy died, you know, my daughter was home actually and um, by herself. And so we had called my pastors and the younger junior pastor does all the work with the youth. So he knew our daughter very well. And so it was decided that obviously we all had to go to the hospital. It was decided that he would go to my house and get her and bring her to the hospital and so he had been on his way home and he had to call his wife so he had to call his wife and she was giving her son who was just about three like had him in the shower or the bath or something and they were in the bathroom together and she had took this call that, you know, Andy Larson, the Larson's in a car accident. Andy Larson is dead. And she didn't want to cry in front of him. So he was like in a towel. And she went outside in the bathroom and talked to him a little bit and then thought, I got to get back together because I got to dry him off and get him in his PJs and put him to bed. And so she walked back in and he just ever so innocently looked at her and said, he's in heaven with his friends, mommy. And. She just, because he wouldn't have known. There was no way for him to know, right? She hadn't said anything. There was no way for him to know. And she said, who is mommy? And, or who is honey? And she, he said, I don't know. He said, oh, the boy. I don't know his name. Ugh. And that was it. And she said, you know, even though he is a pastor's kid, he was just three. So they really hadn't talked oh. much about heaven ever. Oh. For him to have said... That, that the boy was in heaven with his friends. I mean, where did that ever come from? Ugh. And she didn't tell me for at least six months. It was a very, very long time before yeah. she told me because she didn't know how ready then, I would be.
2: Yeah, to hear that. To
1: hear that. But how powerful was that? That was, that was really minutes, minutes after Andy died that he got that gift from God you know that that then we were able to know later on but it is just proves your point as somehow when they get older i think you know they lose that kind of ability or what it is, yes. but, yeah. but, you know, he just take, he just took that as at face value. It was just, it came to him and he just told his mom, like, uh, when you get older, you're just not going to do that
2: anymore. Right. You question, we don't trust our intuition anymore. We're shut off because the world tell we become skeptical and yeah, but and it's very normal. But when you're three, that, that stuff happens to you and you just say it, you know? Oh, you it. Yeah. yeah exactly
1: reminds me very much of that with moxie even though obviously he didn't know andy didn't know his name he didn't know anything about him but he did know a boy was in heaven with his friends so
2: oh i love that yeah
1: i'm going to go on to change the subject a little bit now because originally we were going to have this interview a few weeks ago
2: yes that's true
1: (laughs) and it was going to be released right around the time of your book release But you had another big
2: thing happen.
1: So I think you should talk about that a little bit now.
2: Yeah, I, I, I will. So I was recently diagnosed with stage four metastatic breast cancer. I felt a lump in my left breast on February 4th. I was reading stories to Moxie that night and I just had my hand resting on my breast and I felt this thing and I just thought, gosh, what? I mean, it literally just overnight. I mean, I don't think it was there the day before. It could have been there the day before. I don't know if it was there the day before that. Like it was just like, all of a sudden I felt this thing and I thought, oh my gosh, do I have cancer? I mean, I, I went there immediately in my brain. I, I allowed myself immediately to say, that is not correct. Like that feels wrong. And I had my daughter feel it. She's like, mommy, what's going on? Like what's wrong? She could. And I, I said, feel this. And she felt it. And I was like, do you remember mommy's boobie feeling like that? Like, I don't know. Like we're very like yeah. body positive, <laughs> naked family, like whatever. Like, and she's like, no. And then I had my husband feel it that night. And fast forward five weeks later, I'd gotten my a mammogram scheduled and yeah, May, March 14th. I went in, I had my first ever mammogram the very next day, my naturopath called me having just had a conversation with the radiologist and was like, Katie, it's cancer. Like just like, yeah. and I'm standing there at the kitchen counter. Eli says, he's like, I'll never forget the look on your face. Cause he was there. He could see the whole thing unfolding. And I, I just like mouthed the words to him. I was just, you know, like it's cancer. And whirlwind by the end of the week I'd had additional mammograms ultrasounds a biopsy which then on the pathology report confirmed that it was cancer after that I had CT scans and bone scans and and, and MRIs and brain MRIs and and all the things so I am now two rounds into chemotherapy treatment I am getting about 5 months of chemotherapy um I have a port I don't know if if you if oh, this yes. is on yeah I've got my port <laughs> It's just so weird. It looks like a, like a, t- a tadpole, like underneath my skin, a big old gnarly tadpole. Anyway, so I've got my port. I have lost my hair. I've been through this, um, journey of, of embracing the hair yeah. lock. If, um, if you
1: are watching, you can see that she's got a little bit of hair left and it's pink. So if you're, if you're watching the video version, yeah, I
2: had a, I had a, a nice, uh, light, dark blonde pixie, you know, just classy haircut. Um, then I bleached it. And then I dyed it hot pink and then I had a mohawk and now I have a pink buzz cut. And soon I will be of course, completely bald because all these little tiny baby hairs are falling out too. And if you're interested, you can follow my journey on uh, Katie, Katie, Joy Duke Instagram. So, um, you know, I've, I, I, am very open about this process and, you know, it was interesting, Marcy, because it took me a while to come to terms with being stage four. Right. Cause like, everyone's like, oh, I hope you caught it early. And like, oh, what's the stage? Cause we were, it took us a while to stage it. it that takes a while to figure that all out. Um, I mean, I knew that I was going to have chemo, a mastectomy and radiation before we actually knew that it was also in my sternum. So I have like a raisin size bit of cancer in my sternum. Mm -hmm. They're treating me as if it were stage three three, because the cancer is so localized to the original source, which means that we've caught it, which is why I had to have a brain MRI to confirm that it wasn't in my brain. And after we confirmed that it wasn't in my head, although I am slightly crazy, I do not have cancer in my head. <laughs> then I was like, okay, I think, I think now I'm willing to be open about this whole thing. because I was thinking about not telling the world, my stage, my type, my, whatever, I was just gonna say, I have breast cancer and it's nobody's nobody's business. But then as I sat with that and processed it and, and sort of grieved it, Mm -hmm. um, the trauma of it, the overwhelm of it, like all of that. I realized, gosh, Katie, here you are at this, at the tippity top of this mountain, and you're about to release your book and, and this, this six years of hard work, and you've crawled through hell and back. And, you know, and I thought, wait a second, if vulnerability and transparency and honesty are your values, which those are three of my values, then, then, then hedging around my diagnosis, the reason I really didn't want to tell anybody because I didn't want to have to deal with other people's fear. (laughs) I didn't, I didn't want to have to deal with the nonsense that was going to come out of other people's mouths. Right. Like I just, I didn't want to deal with like the looks of like pure dread on their face of like, Oh my God, you're going to die. You know, like, because I'm going to die, but I don't think I'm going to die anytime soon. And I don't, if it's a breast cancer, may it be in 40 years, you know, when I'm 81, I realized that I have a voice and God has given me the opportunity to have a voice for, be a voice for breathed mothers and breathed parents and, 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 and pregnancy loss and, and, and pregnancy after a loss and all the things that that's still breathing my book is about. And now I've been given this other unique and beautiful opportunity to apply everything that I've learned the first time around to now this, this, my own life, yes. my own journey, my own healing, my, my own the, the you know and where where having cancer will take you, you know, because I think the interesting thing is that most cancers are not lifestyle cancers. I mean, yeah, they're not lifestyle. I mean, even we know people that have had lung cancer who've never smoked a cigarette in their life, right? So, like, mm-hmm. cancer is not personal and it just happens, right? Like, I didn't do it to myself, I didn't make choices. Maybe my trauma made me more susceptible. I don't know. Like, there's all sorts of spiritual questions about it, but I am excited to smother my cancer with love and invite it to leave my body and use the chemotherapy and the treatments and all the homeopathies and the the antioxidants and the amino acids and all the things I'm doing. I'm trying to change the vernacular around fighting everything. Oh, I know. I actually don't. I I really hate that. I hate that term because
1: it, it. Yeah. It really indicates that there are winners. And then, if there are winners, then there have to be losers. And, losers. and if then if you die of cancer, then you're a loser. Like, that's terrible.
2: Yeah. So, cancer. yeah. So, that's yeah. why I hate that too. Mm -hmm. It's hard because if you, because it's a very ingrained (laughs) vernacular, like it it is, it is, if you look at the American cancer society, you look at all of it. Like it's always a fight, it's a war, it's a battle. And I, and so I, I do this not with non-attachment, like I am not attached to how anyone else chooses to speak about their own experience with cancer or whatever. Like, but for mine, because I am a, uh, I call myself a, but now I'm joking about it, but I say that I'm a professional rester. I've had to learn how to rest. Like the last six years they've taught me nothing. They've taught me to try to get into the parasympathetic mode as often as I can rest and digest, take the nap, sit on the couch and do nothing, be in that peaceful place, find a state of calm, you know, and anything I can do to help my nervous system recover from whatever life is throwing my way. And in this case, Life is throwing me cancer, and life is throwing me chemo, and life is throwing me cancer and chemo when I'm excited about launching my book. You know what I mean? So like, I have all these, ba- you know, like again, it's like I'm balanced. I'm holding space with so many different things, and so many different conflicting emotions. Yeah, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna smother it with love and I'm going to heal and get through it. And I'm going to be a voice for others. And I, you know, I'm going to be vulnerable. I shaved my head live on, on Facebook yesterday to my Facebook community, social media, in, uh, Instagram, I'm building my community on Instagram, but, but Facebook in particular has been a vital source of community for me for the last six years after Poppy died. I was very, cause I had been very open about my pregnancy. I was one of those moms that was like, you know, posting like belly shots and, you know, doing all that really, really excited. So it was, it was equally as devastating for my community when Poppy died. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, I've just been nurturing online, a, a connection with a lot of people that otherwise I wouldn't have if social media didn't exist. So, yeah. So yesterday I went live and shaved my mohawk off and so many people were so sweet. I pulled out a clump of hair before I did it so that people could say like, Hey guys, this is what hair, lo- this is what looks like when you're losing mm-hmm. your hair. Like, mm-hmm. So just to give people again, more, understanding of maybe if they're going through it or their mother or sister or best friend or neighbor or whoever to offer more compassion and empathy to people when we're going through hard things.
1: Well, and I just think about your experience with Poppy and all that has done for you in so many areas, but I would say it has done a lot for you in this new cancer smothering situation that you have as well right you it are does. in a much different place than you would have been without that so it's yet another
2: sort of gift
1: that poppy has given you
2: it is it's and 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 i see you said all the right things and i know it takes courage to say those kind of things but i i honor your your reflection and i i really do i Poppy has given me so many gifts and she's she's my daughter, she's my spirit guide, she is love. I'm so lucky to have been her mommy that she chose me, that God chose her for me. I mean, all the things that that Eli is is, you know, that we just celebrated our seventh wedding anniversary this past weekend. And we went back to the the garden where we got married in in Seattle and took some pictures and kissed. And oh, I I'm I'm so thankful for this life and mm-hmm. and for my child, my living child. I'm so thankful to be a mother and everything.
1: Yeah. I I just think it's beautiful. I, one other thing that you had shared before we started recording is now that you are in this cancer, you know, experiencing cancer, it's different though, when you really don't fear death like you may have otherwise, right?
2: Yes. 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 I did share that. I, I'm glad you brought that up. I, um, before we started talking yeah before we hit record i i shared with you that if if i choose to believe and i do that my my daughter my father and poppy were able to reunite together in this in this wonderful place that we like to call heaven you know we've got this word heaven if if when my daddy died three years ago poppy was there to meet him then it means and i've never contemplated this before but it truly touched this place deep 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 within my soul it means that when i die i get to be reunited with my That's daddy again. and and my grandmommies and my ancestors and my you know and and anyone who dies between now and then and 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 that to me was just like oh because i i you know and i i told you like after poppy died i would never needed to know so bad where a soul go- goes like when a soul dies like but, but but where but where like you know is it heaven is it just outer space is it nowhere is it you know like is it here is it actually in my heart like i don't know like does a soul grow like i i contemplated a billion different questions yes to think that. That when I die, I I I too get to go back into that pool of source energy and be reunited, and then maybe transformed and come back. I don't know. Like we don't know. And the beautiful thing you said is, hopefully, it's you know forty years from now. Yes, but long time. I am not ready. But if it's not, it's okay too. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. And I'm leaving a legacy and, you know, and my book, that's the thing too, that I am, I'm, I'm truly, I think that's one of the things that I'm most proud about when it comes to my book is that I am true. I have left a legacy. Mm -hmm. Like if I did nothing else from this moment on, but just take care of myself and be with my family, that's enough. Like I've written the book. I did it. May the fourth be with me. Like (laughs) I just got it done. And I set out to do it over six years ago and I'm finally seeing it all come to fruition and it feels so good.
1: So one more time, tell people how they can get the book and how they might
2: want to follow you on social media because I know people yeah, want to do that too. In this very moment, the ebook is available on Kindle. Um, there's a ninety nine cent sale for 30 days, so trying to to really promote the book, get it out there, buy it for next to nothing, Tell all your friends about it. The paperback will be available to purchase worldwide. Amazon booksellers will be able to get it wholesale on Ingram spark. I'm excited if you're a bookseller and you want my book in your bookstore, please reach out Kobo. It's going to be on Kobo, which I think is Walmart print company. But um yeah, so Kindle you can buy it right now and my website is katiejoyduke.com. I'm building it out. I've had a few bumps in the road. IE that is a cancer diagnosis in the last few months. So I've I've been I've been working on my website. It, there's going to be a lot of amazing interactive ways to learn more about me, my coaching practice, my writing. So yeah, check me out there. And then again, on Instagram I'm katiejoyduke.com. That's who I am. Thank you so much, Katie. Thank you, Marcy.
0: for listening. If you found this helpful and would like to support the podcast, please leave a five-star rating and comment. To help financially, you can text Andy's Mom to the number 53555 or visit the donate page on andysmom.com. Your donations are secure and tax deductible and we are now able to accept Venmo, PayPal, and Apple Pay. Always Andy's Mom is a registered 501c3 organization and can receive donations through smile.amazon.com Thrive in Financial, and Benevity, amongst others. Marcy loves hearing from listeners. Please feel free to reach out to her via email at marcy at Also, be sure to sign up for the email list to receive weekly updates as well as pictures of all of Marcy's guests and their children. Together, let's work to inspire hope one day at a time.